Right before we were leaving New York, I got a picture on, on my cell phone from my wife of a turtle. The story of this turtle is we were uh, on our way. We were in the car. All of a sudden, we see this thing in the road. And like I swerved, miss it. Like it, was, it was a huge monster, you know, one of those big, big snapper. Uh, it was one of those real tall ones too. It was, it was, it was fat, and like one of those ones that take your finger off if you get too close. So I swerved to pass it, and I get by it, and whatever. We're almost home, and it's like we gotta go back and save it. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we go back. I think we drove past like two or three times just because I was like, are you serious, honey? She's like, we got to do something. Oh, it was a busy road, you know. So finally we get out. Actually, the, the last time as I passed it, I'm about to get out of the car. A semi is coming by. It swerves, but there was a guy behind the semi that was didn't see it and kind of clipped it. And the thing flew up in the air. And landed, and landed on its back, and then it spun. It was like a breakdancing move. It was awesome. <laughs> and I'm sitting there laughing my head off, because it was one of the funniest things I've seen. And Hannah's like, oh my gosh, no! And she's like, practically in tears, and she's like, we got to go save this. So I get out, and I'm like, it's a giant snapper. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. So I got a snow brush out of the trunk. I went and I flipped it over. As I flipped it, it turns around and starts hissing at me. I'm like, just save your life. And Hannah's out there in this busy road, like directing traffic. It's a turtle. I want to talk, talk to you guys this morning about the way we value people. <clears throat> just like that turtle, how we can, we can, it's just a turtle, what the heck, why, why would I risk my life and my fingers to save this stupid thing? I want to talk about the way we value people. Uh, I want to uh, talk uh, through the life of David. David is somebody in the in the word uh, I think Jesus is mentioned like nineteen hundred times. David is mentioned something like twelve hundred times. The next closest person is like three hundred so i i I don't want to look at David like he he's uh perfect or he's he's he is a hero of the faith, but he wasn't perfect. Yet, there's a lot you can take out of David's life. David, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, this is a story of, of, of David. Um, he's out in the field, hanging out. Uh, Saul is kind of uh, doing his own thing. So the Lord 
kind of takes his hand off of Saul's life. Uh, the Lord comes to Samuel and he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. There's some, the next leader of the country, I want you to anoint him. He's going to come from the house of Jesse. So Samuel goes to this, the house of Jesse while there. Uh, uh, well, let's just read it here. When they arrived, Samuel, son of Eli, uh, Il, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is in verse 6, sorry. Saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things, things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, and then, and then another one, Abinadab came and, nope, not him. And the Lord, seven different sons come through. The Lord says, nope, that's not the one I've chosen. That's not him. Nope, 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 that's not him. Everything on the outward appearance was perfect. Like, they were strong, strapping men. They were, uh, everything we would think of as a leader. Yes, they're the next king. They're going to be a perfect leader. Nope. It says in, uh, in, in verse 10, Jesse had his seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all? All the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. So he sent now, sent and had him brought brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He's the one. So the Lord took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Uh, I want to suggest that this David was overlooked. David was the youngest of eight brothers, or you know, he had seven brothers older than him. He was, by man's appearance, just a dead or a turtle on the side of the road. Who really cares about him? This situation in his life marked him. I think more than one way. It marked him in a. a that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. I want to. I want to uh, just track with me here for a minute. Look in uh, chapter seventeen. Uh, you know, all know the story of David and Goliath. David is he's this young buck. He's he's been anointed to be the next king over over Israel. Uh, he's overlooked yet in. Uh, 1727, uh, 28. Then Eliab, the oldest brother of David, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger in him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down here to watch, to watch the battle. 
Even though David was anointed for something, even though David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, it wasn't easy. His, his brothers continued, it says his heart burned with anger toward David. Even though David was marked by God. God's got a plan and a purpose for our life, right? Right? You're not just a turtle on the side of the road. God cares for you. He, he rescued you. He saw the value in you. Now I want to keep looking at David here. After God anointed him, I keep picturing anointing a turtle. Sorry. <laughs> God anointed David to be the leader of a nation. Yet it took another 21 years before he became the leader of the nation. I I, I don't know who that's for, but some of you, God's spoken something very specific in your life, and yet you're you're saying, God, why? Why do I have to go through struggle? Why do I have to... I don't understand. I've been waiting 21 years, and I still got to go through battles. And I still got to go through trials. I still got to go through hardships. Oh, is in that time God's teaching them things. Look at, uh, let's keep going here. In chapter 22. Now, David's running from, running from Saul. He's running for his life. He comes to this cave, the cave of Adullam. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's household heard he was, he was down, heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, now listen to this this awesome beginnings of an army right here. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and be, he became their leader. About 400 men with him. I'd like to suggest that when David saw his, his own life and the, and the times he'd been overlooked and the times he'd been, uh, how could God use you, you little puny thing? You're just supposed to be out tending the sheep. Get out of here. All the times he was rejected, all the times he had to go through difficulties. He's running for his life at this point. And suddenly he comes to a cave and, and these men come to join him. It says they were discontented, they were in distress, and they were uh, in debt. People, most people would probably look at him and say, "You're just a turtle on the side of the road. I, I don't want to. I, got, I don't got time for you. I don't. I'm not going to risk my life. I'm not going to risk getting a finger eaten off. I'm not going to risk getting hurt. I'm not going to risk. It's not worth it to me. You're not worth it to me. David took these guys. Uh, for lack of a better word, they were losers." They were a bunch of, they were discontented with life. I work with young people. There's a lot of discontentment with life. There's a lot of turning here and there, and i got to find contentment with something. I work with young people that really don't have any, I'm not saying this about the kids here, I work with young people who are, what do you plan on doing with your life? I don't know. 
What do you want to do? I don't know. That's my pet peeve. Kids that don't have a no direction, no they're not passionate about anything, they're not. Alright, let's keep going here. David, in the time he was, God got a hold of him. God got his heart. You know, God said about David, he's a man after my very own heart. I'd like to suggest that, yes, David, uh, when he sinned, he repented and turned to the Lord and cried out to God. Yes, when when David uh, constantly throughout his life, if you, if you read over and over, it says he inquired of the Lord he heard from the Lord and he acted upon that. He, he inquired of the Lord, he heard from the Lord, and he did something with it. He heard from, he heard from the Lord and he did. I'd like to suggest that all those things he did, you know, he, he killed Goliath and uh, all the awesome things David did in his life, I, I'd like to suggest that the one thing that made him more after God's heart than anything else was his heart for people. We got several examples of of David's heart for people. If, if you look in uh, 1 Samuel 30, uh, David is fighting with the... Uh, it's kind of a long story. We don't have much time this morning. you got to listen fast here. Uh, David is... Uh, he moves... He's running for his life, running for his life. All these guys, they're, they're growing in number, and uh, there's about 600 of them. They go and they move to the town called Ziklag, which is in the Philistine area. And they're at, at, as they're in Ziklag, they go out and they're raiding different uh, parties and uh, they're warring. And he's teaching these warriors to be warriors. And, and uh, they, they come, they're fighting with the Philistines, the same Philistines that Goliath came from. They're fighting with them, and the, the commanders of the of the armies of the Philistines say, uh, "This is David. Um, we're not very comfortable fighting with David. He's he's the one they sing about in songs." So they say, go back home. So he goes back home with his 600 men. You get home, and their village is burned to the ground. Their wives and children, everything, everything's gone. They're, Everything. Everything that's of value was gone. David, uh, let's read it here. 1 Samuel 30. Uh, so basically, he asked the Lord, should we go pursue the people who burned our village down? And the Lord says, yes, go. So they go and, oh, it says, oh, Lord, help me. In verse 11, they're out looking for, they're tracking where their their wives and children and everybody are. And they come across, it says they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. I don't know, this is not, uh, this is just something that kind of 
stuck out to me, and it's not... uh, David invested in people and loved and cared for people so much that his army found somebody out in the field and said, we know a guy who's going to take care of you and care for you, and we know a guy who cares for people. Come on. They took him to David. David then... Basically, this young Egyptian, they, they feed him, they give him, they take care of him, and this Egyptian leads him to where their wives and children are. And they get all their stuff back. It says the plunder was incredible. I, I, I just... I'm thinking, like, they could have been out searching for days, looking for their family, and who knows what had happened in the meantime. Who knows what had happened to their stuff. But because David was investing in people and loving and caring for people, they brought him. They brought this guy to David. Interesting, huh? Now let's go to Second uh, Samuel. Twenty-three. Uh, 2 Samuel 23 is kind of the... It doesn't say it for sure, but I I really think these guys were guys that may have been those same guys that uh, came to the cave of Adullam discontented with life in distress and in debt. David invested in them, poured into them, This is kind of a, a summation of David's mighty men. How many of you have heard of David's mighty men? Here's kind of just some things of David's mighty men in verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. Joshebetheth. We'll call him JB because i not good with names. Tekeomite. Was a chief of three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom, whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dido, uh, Dodai, the Ehoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamon for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eleazar, but only one, only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where the field they felt was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck down the Philistines down. The Lord brought about great victory. And then it goes on to describe a couple more uh, incidences and things that happened from David's mighty men. There's just a few things I want to pull from, from these three in particular. First one, 
JB. It says, uh, he raised a spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Uh, the Bible talks about our prayer being a weapon. The weapons we fight with are not of man. We don't wage war the same way the world does. Uh, I'd like to say one thing that the Lord wants to us to impart and invest into people is how to pray. If we're going to equip people, if we're going to... Here, here is the battle plan. Here's the strategy. Here's the... We got to equip people to learn how to pray. How many of you, when I when I talk about prayer, we talk about your prayer life. You don't have to raise your hand, but when we talk about our prayer life, a lot of times prayer and guilt go right hand in hand. I I can remember being in a a, a prayer retreat for an entire weekend. All, all I did the whole weekend was was pray. And after the weekend, I still felt, oh, I don't pray enough. Do we always all feel like that sometimes? There's power in prayer. We are called to be a house of prayer for all nations. One thing we got to equip each other and, and strengthen each other and, and give each other tools to, to learn how to pray. And prayer is and prayer and guilt are not to go hand in hand. I, I, I think of the. It's just kind of a little side note here, but I think of the Muslim religion. One fifth of the world's population. They stop five times a day and they pray. And we've allowed this thing, prayer and guilt, to go hand in hand so much that we think. I can't stop what I'm doing and pray. I can't. I can't pray in public. I might offend somebody. I might offend my coworker. Oh, I can't pray. No. And we're so like, wow. Like we have to go and do this big, huge promotional thing to get young people to pray at a flagpole once a year. Kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I want to be a man of prayer. I'm not just going to pray five times a day. I'm going to live continually in prayer. One thing, I like the illustration. My dad is here. Uh, he wears hearing aids. Uh, one thing we used to do growing up, we used to go to the Knothole Twins games, which was like, buy one adult ticket and get four kids free or something. And it was like every other Monday or something like that. We used to go to the Twins games. I used to be there with my dad. And you get him in a big crowd of people and it's crazy like that. He can't hear a thing. So you just sit there like, Hey, Dad! Hey! Yo! You know, we try to interact and connect, but it was just, it was very difficult. Yet, just being there with my dad and knowing his presence was with me, 
and experiencing something together, we grew in relationship. Because we experienced something together. Because we got to cheer for the twins. Because we got to cheer for that home run. Because we got to cheer for that awesome catch. Because we got to do something together. Though we weren't constantly talking to each other, we were experiencing something together. And because we're experiencing something together, we're growing it, we're growing closer and connecting. That's our prayer life. Though I'm not constantly talking to God all the time. I'm aware of His presence and I'm, I'm, of course I'm consulting Him. Of course I'm inquiring of Him. Of course I'm asking Him things. Of course. Even in the little things. God, what do you want me to do? That's what I so appreciate about Stephen and what he's doing. Went out to lunch with him a few weeks ago. God, why are we here? What are we doing? Why do you have us here? And like, always, we could be in total deep conversation and his eyes were scanning. What are you doing, God? It was awesome. We need to learn how to pray. Uh, worship. Uh, look at Psalm 76. Uh Another one of our weapons is praise and worship. Psalm 76 says, In Judah, God is known. Judah means I will praise. In praise, God is known. His name is great in Israel, His tent in Salem, His dwelling place in Zion. Zion is the place in which David's tabernacle was located. If you know anything about David's tabernacle, it was a place of 24-hour praise, worship, and intercession. It says, There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields, and the swords, and the weapons of war. In Judah, God is known. The Word says He inhabits the praises of His people. Yeah, that word inhabit doesn't mean just I'm going to show up for a little bit and I'm going to go. Inhabit means I'm coming to move in. I'm coming to live. I'm coming... Actually, one of the words that is used is marry. I inhabit the praises of my people. There's a warfare in our praise. A warfare in our worship. There's so many things pulling us... Speaking of young people... So many things pulling us in so many different directions. So many things fighting for our worship. So many things trying to get us to worship something else. There's a warfare in our worship. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His, dwell, his tent in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the, the flashing arrows, the shields and the swords and the weapons of war. There's warfare in our worship. Let's uh, go back to 1 Samuel 23. Sorry, I should have had you put your finger in there. 2 Samuel, sorry.
Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Hewite. One of the three mighty men was with David. When they taunted, the Philistine gathered in Pasdamon for battle. And the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about great victory that day. I've done a lot of construction work, a lot of grunt work, a lot of swinging sledgehammers, a lot of jackhammering. I don't know if you've run a jackhammer. It's a 125-pound jackhammer with uh, incredible weight. and it. After a while, it just it's exhausting. When you do it for an entire week straight, man, it's just like, oh, can't take it anymore. Uh, but one of the things that happens as you're, as you're doing it, your hands stick to it after a while. Or if you're swinging a sledgehammer, you swing it long enough, your hands start to stick. You're, it actually hurts to open your hands. This guy, he's fighting so strong and so hard and exuding so much energy, his hand sticks to his sword. Another thing we need to train each other and equip each other and encourage one another in is knowing the Word and having it so much that you can't let go of it. Even in the junk of life and not letting go of the Word of God. Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness, what is what is the thing he used each time? The Word. It is written. We need to know our Word. Know the Word. Just get a hold of it. And I'm not letting go. This is... You know, uh, Frida Lindsay... Frida Lindsay was one of the founders of Christ for the Nations. She just passed away this last March. Frida Lindsay, she was uh, 94 years old or something like that. She'd read the, read the Word through every year for 73 years or something. And one thing she used to say to the Bible school every single time she came out, there was like 1,500 students at this Bible school, she would come out three and five, three and five. You'll read three chapters a day and five on Sunday. You'll read the Bible through in a year. She would always give the same talk about how important the Word was. And, you know, when, when you really got down to it and you asked her, why is the Word so important to you? Why, why is it so important to read the Bible through every year? She said, I've been doing ministry for over 70 years. Seen hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people been all over the world in all kinds of countries. And I've never met I've never met a backslidden Christian that didn't read the Bible every day. Think about that. That's some serious truth right there. I've never met somebody that walked away from the Lord that read their Bible every day. I want to be one that's holding my weapon. I can't let it go. 
I'm not going to let it go. Even when times are tough, I'm not letting it go. Next to him was Shama, son of Agi, the Herite. When the Philistines banded together in the place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defeated and struck down the Philistines down. The Lord brought about great victory. I shared this little tiny piece right here, I think. I don't know. It was, uh, I think, the, yeah, March. The annual meeting. That's that's the word I'm looking for. I think I shared it at the annual meeting. Uh, another thing we need, another weapon we need to have and teach and equip and challenge each other and see the value in one another is to be passionate about something. Shama, he's out in a field full of beans. And the Israelites run because they're scared. What's the point of fighting over a bean field? Shama takes his stand in the bean field and he says, come get it. He fought for that bean field. Why did he? Why did he fight for that bean field? Because he owned it. It would have value to him. What's the point of fighting over a bean field unless you take ownership of something? You know, it's okay to be passionate about something. It's okay to be passionate about something. What are you willing to die for? That other people run away because they're scared. What is your bean field? You know, I, I as a youth pastor, it's, it's, I don't know how many times I've come across people and you really talk to them and get down to the nitty-gritty and get to the, the issue of things and how many times over and over I had a dream and a passion to do this, but I was told it was stupid and foolish and I, I sh- shouldn't pursue that. I want to, as a youth pastor, encourage the youth and say, go for it. Fight for it, man. It's your, it's your field. Go for it. It's your field. Fight for it. You're the one to take value in it. Be passionate about it. It's okay. You know, that thing can't become a God to us. But at the same time, I'm passionate about this. I think of a couple of weeks ago, we went, we went rock climbing with uh, Dale Brady and Andrew back there. We took the youth group. Man, they're passionate about rock climbing and outdoor stuff. It, you know, like conversations with them prior to talking about outdoor stuff and rock climbing was, it was good. I mean, we, there was a little connection, but once we started talking about outdoor stuff and rock climbing, it was like, yeah, here we go. And they were, there was just a life come up out of them. And let me tell you, it was life-giving going, taking the youth to rock climbing. 
You're being filled. What's valuable to you? Fight for it. And see how you can use it in the kingdom. It's okay to be passionate about things. It's okay. Uh, you can all stand. The worship team, when I come back. Um, now, David. Uh, David invested things in people. He he taught them how to use their weapons. He equipped them. He saw value in people. They're not just a turtle on the side of the road who really cares about them. But David saw the value in people to, to where they became mighty men of God. I, uh, this past week, uh, said goodbye to my grandfather. My grandfather was one of these men. He was a man who prayed. He went to his funeral on Wednesday his funeral on Wednesday, and time and time again, over and over, people, he loved people. He had a passion for people. He had a passion to pray. He had a passion for worship. He had a passion for, for the Word of God. He had a passion for, for the things of God. And he, and he fought for those things. Over and over and over again, I heard people saying, he impacted my life. It was awesome. You know, one, even one of the things, I got a friend, Eric, sitting up here in the front row. Eric, me and him, uh, grew up together. Our birthdays are three days apart. Uh, we grew up together, uh, kind of drifted away from each other. I really had no idea where I lost complete contact with him, didn't know really much of anything. Where has he been? I, I continue to pray for him. I continue to... God, I don't know where Eric is or what he's doing, but Lord, get a hold of him. And came to my grandfather's funeral and Eric comes running up to me. The investing in people and caring for people and loving people So rewarding. You're never going to see the value in people unless you get God's heart for them. I had another friend. Talked to him just a few days ago. Same type of deal. He wanted to do his own thing. I actually met him at Bible school. At Bible school... He would go out and on the weekends go and drink. Just want to live life and party and have fun. Saw the value in him. Not many others did. I actually had deans of the school saying, yeah, quit wasting your time with him. 
had a, I said, I'm going to take him on a mission trip. I want to invest in him. He just led. He helped start a ministry called Campus Target. Campus Target is going into the colleges and universities in China. He just uh, spent his fifth year in China. This time he brought 80, 80 college students with him to go, go to China for a year. I want to be like, like David who sees the value in people and can invest something into them, invest the Word of God, invest prayer, invest my passion, invest those things where it's going to bring glory to God, where it's going to make a difference. David, at the end of his life in First Chronicles, at the end of his life, First Chronicles 29.10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, your exalted head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands is strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. He goes on to pray, but then at the end of his, at the very end of his prayer, this is one of his final words. He, he, he looks to the assembly. He says, David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed and fell prostrate before the Lord and King. I want to suggest, David wasn't saying this out of a a place of pride, but out of a place of, I want to be like David, where I can come to the end of my life or the end of my time somewhere and say, now it's your turn. Now you do it. You've seen my example. You've seen me be passionate in worship. You've seen my prayer life. You've seen me with the Word of God. You've seen me go after God with everything I am. Now it's your turn. Now you go. You know, we're, we're, as a church, we're, one of the things that really, uh, as, as a church, we're, we're praying about this Alpha and praying God will move on Alpha and, and bring the right people. And I just want to give a plug for Alpha and encourage you. Some of you... You hear people talking about Alpha and hear what's going on with Alpha and you've not even even prayed for somebody to come to Alpha. You've not even taken the time to pray that God would show you somebody to invite. I want to encourage you to do so. One of the things I'm speaking about this morning starts one step at a time. I think the song goes, every prayer is a powerful weapon. Step by step, strongholds come tumbling down. Step by step. It's one step at a time. So, I don't need to keep going. We're going to do a couple of songs in worship, and I want us to practice what I'm preaching. Can we be passionate about something? Can you honestly think, 
my worship, there's warfare in my worship. Can you honestly, just as we're worshiping, say, God, give me your heart for people. I see them as turtles on the side of the road. I don't, I've been hurt by them. I've been, got, gotten my fingers, fingers bit off. I'm not doing it again. I just, uh, Lord Jesus, we just pray that your spirit, your presence would come, Lord. Jesus, that whatever hurt and offense, Jesus, we lay it before you. God, we want your heart. We want your heart for people. God, I pray everything spoken this morning, God, your love for your word, a love for prayer. God, I pray that those that are dealing with prayer life and guilt, God, I pray that we break that off in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Jesus, we just pray that our worship would be to you and you alone. God, we're not performing, we're not playing games, we're worshiping you. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for changing our life. We thank you for seeing the value in us. We thank you for stopping the car.